Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the GSJ EMS Podcast. Where on today's episode, we're going to be discussing New Life, an EMS guide to live birth. This will be something we'll discuss over several episodes. I'm thinking probably at least two. But today's episode, we just want to start on the terminology. We want to go through the different stages of labor, talk about the different parts of labor, the different uh, things that have to come together for a birth to happen. And we'll go over just some different definitions and kind of get you familiar with live birth process. And then in the next episode, we'll continue on with the actual live birth. We'll talk about the different mechanisms of birth that occur, uh, some of the different problems that can occur during birth, and go over some stories, uh, some more stories, my favorite part always of the episode, and see where that takes us into live birth. I do also want to tell you right off the bat that a lot of times I will misuse terminology when we start talking about uh, birth and infants and babies and neonates and children. And uh, I know the American Heart has their set of definitions that they use. uh, But for the For the purposes of today, if you hear me say the word infant, uh, I am specifically terming a neonate, a baby that was just born. So if I say infant, please excuse me. Um, I do kind of interchange that terminology. Um, I'm not AHA savvy when it comes to those terms. So uh, please understand that when I say infant, I do mean uh, neonate. And also, I want to let you know that I'm dedicating this episode to my wife. Uh, She's given birth now to two absolutely gorgeous uh, young girls, and uh, my daughters now are are two and almost three and so we have been blessed with two beautiful babies uh two easy births my wife did great and so this episode is dedicated to her uh, and dedicated to our ENTs and paramedics in the field uh performing live births so for starters I'm going to go and entertain the fact that you know about a female's basic anatomy uh, especially with her reproductive tracts so we won't spend a lot of time going over that we will go through some of the uh, reproductive parts that have to do directly with live birth uh, and what we're going to see and so we'll start there uh, first we have to discuss uh, I think most importantly the trimesters that have uh, birth uh, what a female will experience trimester wise and that's going to start with uh, obviously our first trimester uh, starting with uh, obviously ovulation through uh, week 13, some say even say up to 15. Um, So generally we consider that uh, months one through three for the first trimester and then on into uh, months three through six for the second trimester and then uh, week six through nine for our third trimester. Uh, And so different things happen at different stages of uh, the trimesters uh, for the fetal development uh, and to the female. Different women experience different things. I know most women, we talk about the nausea and vomiting, especially the early morning nausea uh, that women experience during their first trimester. And that kind of goes away during the second trimester and then comes back again in the third. So not only does the female experience different signs and symptoms during these trimesters, but the fetus also goes through different stages of development uh, through those trimesters uh, as well. First, I want to start too with the placenta Um, we're going to go kind of from the female into uh, the baby and so the first kind of reproductive organ that we gain uh, during a a birthing process is going to be the placenta and we know this is something that's going to start about 14 days after ovulation it's going to form uh, like a little disc uh, shaped organ uh, within the uterus and this uh, device or this organ, I guess I should say, I shouldn't call it a device. This organ uh, has several properties, and one of the major properties that it has is a transfer of gases. And so, just like our lungs uh, take care of the diffusion of uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide for us as humans, uh, the baby also has to have something to help with this. And so, the placenta does that for the baby. It allows that oxygen and carbon dioxide to 
go through that placental membrane and into the uh, umbilical cord we'll, we'll talk about later into the blood uh, and deliver to the baby and we'll talk about that momentarily it also transfers nutrients so babies have to have uh, things like sugar and fatty acids uh, they have to have potassium and sodium and chloride uh, those items have to get to the baby and so the placental helps through uh, with the, the transfer of nutrients as well also the excretion of waste and so uh, babies have to get rid of urea and uric acid and also creatinine and the placenta will help with the excretion of waste uh, we get some hormone production so it becomes a, a temporary endocrine gland for the female uh, and also uh, helps produce estrogen and progesterone uh, for the female and gets the mother's body ready for delivery uh, and then it also forms a, a barrier uh, per se a, a, a defensive barrier that, that helps keep harmful substances and chemicals out of the fetal circulation uh, there are some substances and chemicals that can get through, uh, but in general, the placenta helps form that barrier and keep those things out. And so that leads then to the attachment into the baby through the umbilical cord. Uh, we have all seen uh, what an umbilical cord looks like, a very long cord. Um, and so we know that cord is composed of two arteries and one umbilical vein. Uh, we know that the arteries in this case uh, carry blood uh, from the fetus back to the mother, uh, removing that waste, and that the vein actually in this case carries the blood toward the fetus. And so that's the umbilical cord. And the baby then is sitting in an amniotic sac. And this amniotic sac does nothing but protect the fetus. It's a big membranous uh, material covering the fetus, and it has up to at least uh, sometimes a, a one liter of amniotic fluid, um, as little as 500 uh, mLs of, of this amniotic fluid. And this allows the baby to, to stay in a protective environment, uh, and, and it's very optimal for fetal development. Um, and this amniotic fluid within the sac is maintained by the fetus's excretion of urine, and uh, as well as the swallowing of the amniotic fluid. So we talked a little bit about it, the development anatomy for the baby. Now I'm going to talk a little about the stages of labor because uh, I think it's important to know what stage of labor that your patient may be in. And we're going to start with stage one. This is going to be the dilation uh, of the cervix uh, with starting with regular contractions from the female. And this is going to go all the way up through the thinning and, and dilation of the cervix to a fully dilated cervix at 10 centimeters. Uh, this can happen very quickly or can happen very slowly in females. I know females that start dilating uh, two to three weeks out ahead of their actual uh, true labor. Uh, and some start dilating very slowly or very quickly uh, right before labor begins. And so uh, typically uh, this full dilation will, will take approximately 12 to 16 hours uh, and it can be as quick as five hours if, if a female has had multiple births. Then we go into stage two and this is going to be the expulsion of the fetus. Uh, so this is going to begin with a fully dilated cervix and it's going to continue on until the baby uh, has birth and uh, we have that live birth occurring. Uh, so again, we're going to start with a fully dilated cervix uh, with a baby entering that birth canal and then we're going to continue on with stage two through uh, the baby being born. Um, this stage can again take a very long time for females it can also take very little time especially if again there's been multiple births uh, multiple pregnancies by a female 
Uh, and then we get to the final stage, which is stage three, and this is going to be our placental delivery. So this is going to start after the child's been born immediately, and it's going to take about five to 30 minutes uh, until we have the delivery of the placenta. And those are our three stages of labor. So it, again, it's important to know which stage of labor uh, that your patient is in. Within these stages of labor, it's important to note that there are many signs of imminent labor. And obviously, this is going to be your most important uh, knowledge within that first stage. Uh, once you're in the second stage, you're in the thick of it, and you know that you are in stage two, uh, and you're going to have an imminent labor, and then obviously it doesn't matter at that point in stage three. But we do want to know for stage one and part of stage two that when we see crowning, so when we do our assessment of the female patient, that's pregnant and we see crowning, we know labor is imminent. Um, also, when we have females that have contractions that are occurring less than two minutes apart, um, when they feel like they need to push or they feel like their rectum is full and they need to have a BM, uh, we know at that point that labor is imminent and we need to be ready and get to working quickly uh, on, on these patients to be prepared uh, for the birthing process to start. Uh, and so that can be anything from supportive of O2, getting some uh, IVs going, uh, starting a saline bolus, uh, and getting our OB kits out and ready, and having our uh, neonatal uh, BVM out and ready to go, uh, and, and having our pediatric uh, drug bag or our PALS bag out ready to go so that we can be prepared for any uh, ill birthing effects that may occur. And so understanding that part of the stages of labor and what we should be looking for with the signs of imminent labor uh, will help us later on as we go through the birthing process. Um, the other portion of the birthing process, uh, part of stage uh, two and three that you're going to be looking at, it's going to be the APGAR scores and knowing what those mean. Uh, APGAR standing for appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiratory. And so those are all five different things that we need to grade with our infant to know uh, how they're doing once they're born. And so we start with the uh, appearance of our infant. Are they pink all over? What about if their chest and abdomen are pink, but their extremities are blue? Or are they blue all over? And so we're going to grade those. If they're pink all over, we're going to give them a score of two. If just their trunk is pink, we're going to give them a one. And if they're blue all over, they get a zero. When it comes to pulse, we want to look at their heart rate. If it's greater than 100, they get automatically a two. If it's between 60 and 100, they're going to get a one for pulse and if it's less than 60 they get a zero and we're going to go into neonatal resuscitation and we'll talk about that uh, in a future episode as well when it comes to grimace or their irritability uh, we talk about whether they are coughing and crying acting like a normal baby that was just born uh, if they are coughing and crying and jerking away when stimulated we're going to give them a two if they're having weak cries if they have an irritated face but they don't get angry when poked or prodded they get a one or if they don't respond at all to stimulation, they get zero points. When it comes to activity or their muscle tone, we need to look at how they are moving about. Um, are they having lots of active movement, flailing their arms and legs? If so, they're going to get two points. If uh, just some movement of the extremities, just a little flexion of the extremities, they will only receive a one. 
And uh, if there's no movement at all from the infant, they'll get a zero. And then last but not least is our R for respiration. If they have strong and regular respiration with a good cry, we're going to give them a score of two. If they have weak or irregular respirations, they get a one. And if they're not breathing at all, they get a zero. And so we're going to assess the APGAR on the infant. We're going to do this at one and five minutes after delivery. So at the first minute after full delivery, and then again, five minutes after delivery, we'll assess these APGARs. And again, we want to see high scores on those. So if you do the math, there's five different things we can grade. The highest you can get in each category is a two. The least you can get is a zero. So the max points we can get on our APGAR is 10, with the least being a zero. And again, we want to be close to as uh, 10 as possible, if not a perfect 10. Uh, that is our ultimate goal, especially at that five-minute mark uh, when assessing the APGAR. Also, last but not least, I want to talk to you uh, about a specific term that we uh, or terms we use when we are assessing a female uh, that is pregnant, and that's going to be gravida and para. Uh, and these are two important terms that you need to know. Uh, I remember them uh, based on uh, the alphabet. So G comes before P. And so the first thing that we want to know is how many times a woman has been pregnant. So this uh, counts any uh, positive pregnancy tests that have, have occurred. So the number of times that's happened, the number of times a woman's been pregnant, that is her gravida number. Um, and any current pregnancies are included in that count. Uh, so again, total number of pregnancies, uh, regardless of result, uh, that is going to be our gravida, and that is the G. Uh, when we talk about a G something, P something, we're talking gravida and para. And so our gravida, again, total number of pregnancies. Our para then is going to be the number of viable births. Uh, there are some people that consider uh, par to be all the living uh, children that a female has uh, currently, uh, but Generally, it's any birth greater than 20 weeks, and we're only going to count a one uh, for multiple births. Uh, so if a woman has had twins before or triplets or, or a high number of births, um, they still just get a one uh, for that birth count. Um, and so, again, number of pregnancies is gravida. Para is going to be your number of viable births. Again, uh, we typically count anything greater than 20 weeks uh, that, have, that have occurred as the para count. And then also we've added in here recently a, a number uh, for abortus. And so we look at uh, whether an abortion or miscarriage uh, has happened. And so if we have not had a pregnancy that's been lost due to one of those two things, we can drop that count. It's, it's not needed to be um, uh, notated in the report. Uh, but if you have had a, a, a pregnancy that's been lost for any reason, uh, especially due to abortions or miscarriages, we need to, to notate that with an A for abortus. Uh, so it's possible that you could have a female that has a gravida of three and has a para of zero and abortus of three. And so that would notate to you that she's been pregnant three times, uh, but that all, uh, all of her pregnancies have resulted in either a miscarriage of a, or abortion. Um, if we had a gravida of three and a para of three, that would let you know that she's got three living children or she's had three births that went past that 20-week viable stage. Uh, and so that is the importance of that gravida part. Again, a, a big important part uh, of your assessment. And lastly, for today's episode, I think we can go ahead and fit in the assessment portion of live birth. Uh, I think it's important to understand how you need to assess a pregnant female, especially before uh, you start the labor process, if possible. 
the first thing, obviously getting a full name and age, uh, not just for you and your report, but also to give the receiving facility a heads up once you're going to transport this child. Uh, you need to know uh, her last menstrual cycle and her expected due date. Uh, you need to know her gravidin par that we just talked about. How many times has she been pregnant? Uh, how many live births has she had? Um, how many times has she gone through this birthing process? Uh, I'm going to tell you a lot of times uh, the mothers out there are better at giving birth than we are as providers uh, and helping them give birth because they've got more experience. They've seen this more than a lot of times we will see uh, in the field. What kind of prenatal care has the patient had during the pregnancy? Uh, do they currently have an OB that they're seeing? Uh, and, and what kind of care are they receiving? Uh, what kind of uh, rush of water or any bloody show uh, has the patient had? So did, have they felt like their amniotic sac has ruptured and they're uh, what we typically call their water breaking? Uh, are they having any type of bloody show? Uh, a lot of times that can uh, be a, a, a sign of a potential danger uh, for, the, for the baby and for the mother. Uh, when did the labor pains start? So how long have the, the labor pains began? Uh, and again, we have to look at our stages of labor that we talked about earlier and how that plays in uh, to the time since labor pains started. Um, what type of current feelings does the mother have? Does she feel like she needs to push? Uh, does she feel like she needs to use the bathroom? And again, those types of things are going to be uh, pointing us toward an imminent sign of labor. And especially then on that assessment, if we're looking and see a crowning of the infant through the birth canal, folks, we've got a baby coming and we have to get ready. And so we'll continue on with the birthing process in future episodes and break that down into how to best give birth to a live infant as it comes through. And then again, uh, we'll talk about the different uh, problems that can occur during birth, uh, different ways that infants can present uh, during birth. And uh, we'll finish up with them with a little bit of neonatal resuscitation. And so we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of things we've got to cover in these episodes to get through this. I hope you'll stick with us uh, and enjoy uh, this episode, enjoy this topic as we talk about something that, that is not very well uh, covered in uh, EMT and paramedic uh, courses. It's something that we just don't see a lot of in the field, something we need to stay sharp on, keep our knowledge up and our skills up. And uh, so that's what we're going to do in these next couple of episodes. And I hope you'll stick with us. 